Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. Hello, folks. All right. Well, Bobby says this to be honest, be real. And I'm nervous. Being here at Movement, it's this amazing ministry. I'm always nervous when I got to be around my son, E.L., he's a preacher over at Compass, and my son-in-law, Bobby, over here. I'm always afraid I'm going to wreck it for them, but sometimes they need that. They can fix and fix up the pieces. Uh, Sharon and I, y'all see my wife are here a lot of times. I'm not always able to come, but it is a joy to be with you, and uh, when I ever get to visit, I love to listen to Bobby preach, and uh, so I'm just thankful that I could be here with you. Let's go to God in prayer. And then I got a little something I want to share with you. Father, I ask your guidance and help uh, because uh, we've been, the whole service so far is just, and should have been, and should be, all focused on Jesus. And in this particular passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at today, this morning, uh, it's leading up to the most horrific, horrible death that you're going to undertake. You knew it was coming. And you knew all the pain and agony and suffering is coming with it. But, Lord, you chose to do that because of a love for us, to bring us salvation, to give us a hope that we're beyond reaching. And, Lord, I just pray that who's ever here today listening, it will touch something, something that's said, something that's read from your holy word, something that's illustrated would just touch home with the individual to make their lives change better for you. Thank you for your gift. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I think it's an amazing thing when you talk about Jesus Christ. And I basically entitled this message, and I didn't send any notes, so you just got to look around, maybe scribble some notes if you like to. But we're in the 15th chapter of Mark. But I just kind of titled it, Here Comes the King. As the old saying, Here Comes the Judge, who we used to laugh at. And, uh, but I'm talking about Here Comes the King. And, and he's coming, and he's going to actually reveal it. For the longest time in ministry, if you look back and when Bobby's speaking in that book of Mark or you look in Matthew, there's been times when Jesus, he revealed himself to certain individuals. But now he's letting it out. And the king is coming. And right now he's still letting that message out. The king is here. And he's there for you and for me and for this world that's lost. And we don't understand why can we not accept the king. I remember when he came first into this world. And when Martha and, um, I mean, when uh, Mary and Joseph were making that journey and they came to a place in Bethlehem, and what was the message they kept saying? There's no room. There's no room. Remember that phrase, no room. We're now in the uh, 15th chapter. Just going to deal with a little part of this chapter, verses 1 through 15. This is the very part where they're preparing Jesus for his death. They are now finally got him packaged up, ready to be delivered, to bury and do away with and have it done. And here comes Jesus. It says this in verse 1, very early, very early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. And so they bound up Jesus and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. I want to talk about these priests. Uh, in fact, the message only has three little points to it. If you wanted to go with that, it's the PPP. You ever heard that commercial? There's three P's. What are they? 
Price, price, price. Well, that's not what these three P's are about. The first one is priest. And we're going to look at Pilate. And we're going to look at people. But let's look at the priest, if we could. The language in the first verse, the very beginning of it, says this early morning. That word morning translated into what they would refer to 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. If you go back into Mark 14, where Bobby was preaching last Sunday, he was dealing with an incident that happened even before all this suffering that Jesus was going to go through. He's out there dealing with sinners. And here's this one sinner at the feet of Jesus, pouring out everything she owned at the feet of Jesus, where that perfume might have been Mary Magdalene. We don't quite know for sure, but it was a woman doing it. And that was Judas saying, hey, we could have taken that money. Worried about money. Worried about what we can do with money. And Jesus tells her something. She's preparing something. She's doing something precious here. You're going to pour, the poor will be with you always. But he says, but I'm getting ready to do something. And, and it goes on further into that. And if you go back past that passage there in chapter 14, and you look at Mark, it talks about what they do with Jesus. They get him. They bound him. They bring him before a mocked trial. It, it was a, a sham of what they were doing. And in that way, they accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of being condemned uh, to uh, the taking over, overthrowing the kingdom or the king and Pilate or Rome. They came up with all these things. But that blasphemy was that they said this deserved death. And so they condemned him to death right there that night during the early morning hours when a lot of folks were sleeping and resting. Let me tell you something. While people sleep a lot of times, even today, evil is still in, is trying to empower itself to take over. And here he was, these priests, the very ones who should have been the ones who have looked at the prophecies, studied the scriptures, preparing for that of Jesus' coming, and he's right there in their presence, and they call him a blasphemer. Now, during this phase of the trial, the Jews asked Jesus the same questions that they had asked him already during the night. Luke, chapter of Luke, of Matthew, um, excuse me, the book of Luke, chapter 22 gives their little rendition as well of verses 66 through 71 of this trial that was going on in the early mornings by the priest. And they asked Jesus a question. It says, once again, they ask him, are you the son of God? And Jesus tells them over in Luke, verse 22, he says, he says again, I'll answer you again. Indeed, I am the son of God. Now, to the Jews, that's death. That's a death penalty. So they bring it, they're going to bring him over to Pilate. And they knew that they could not accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and they knew that Pilate wouldn't care about it. So what? So what? He can claim it all he wants. So they're going to have to drum this thing up. They're going to make it look a lot worse than Jesus, who Jesus is. And then again, back in Luke, chapter 23, says verse 2, and they begin to accuse him, saying he's found this fellow perverting the nation. He is forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Well, that would get Pilate's attention. Not that he's saying, I'm the son of God, but he's saying, I am the Christ, a king. You can't have but one king. Hey, y'all remember what happened in the news a couple of weeks ago? Someone passed away in a foreign land. Y'all know who that was, don't you? The queen? And then when she died, guess what happened? A king takes place. So now we got, what, King Charles? 
Is that his name, Ariel? He's, we got another king over in England there called King Charles. Uh, as the news was on that, because every day they were having funeral services someplace with Queen Elizabeth. Every day. One newscaster on day 12 of this uh, funeral thing came on. He says, the breaking news is the Queen Elizabeth is still dead. But let me tell you something. Here's Jesus, who is now going to proclaim himself a king, and that, you can't do that. And he's saying, I'm going to be king. So he knows he's getting Pilate's attention to do something about it. So this action, these religious men, they teach a lot of truth. They were all about prophecy. But here's truth standing right there in front of them, and they can't do anything about it. They didn't want Jesus to be king anyway. They didn't want Jesus to be fulfilling the prophecy. They didn't want Jesus to be the son of God. Why? Because it was going to take... It was going to take their power away. It was going to take their monies away that they were making at the temple through their sacrifices. It was going to end their prestigious uh, attitude about themselves and who they were and what they're, and all their sacrifices and all the things that they were benefiting from, from that of the old covenant. And they were going to all come to an end if Jesus' claim was true and they didn't want to accept that truth. They knew it. And so they took actions to get rid of. The Jews rejected Jesus. You know why? Because, listen, religion has no room for Jesus Christ. Religion has no room for Jesus Christ. If churches today get caught up in religion, then you most likely are not going to accept Jesus. Or you're going to at least get rid of Jesus. Why, if you ever visit or attend a congregation and it's not about Jesus and they don't focus, they don't center on Jesus Christ, if they're not preaching from the Word of God, then that is a religious. Some people say, well, I'm not into this religious thing today and I don't go to organized religion. Well, if you come here to movement, you don't come to an organized religion. You're coming to Jesus. You're coming with those of us who are broken sinners, who have been condemned by the world, who are lost and need guidance, need encouragement, need each other. And you come around with the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and with brothers and sisters, and it sustains us and builds us into a relationship. And that's what we're all here for. But no religious people today is a system that happened way back during this time, and there's no room for Jesus you see, it's all about human activity. It's about your works. And if I think I can work enough, or if I'm good enough, and if I do basic good things, then I can get myself into heaven. But that's not what it's about. You get yourself into Jesus, then you can do righteous works. Works after, before that are really are going to be useless and anything to do with your future, future and eternity. So there he were, that's Jesus, there's these individuals who have based themselves. So Jesus says, there's no room for religion, but there is room for righteousness. And I'm the one who can feed it to you. I'm the one who can get rid of the sins. And not only, as was said here, not just forget them or forgive them, but forget them. I remove them. So what do you do? How do you get to Jesus? How do you get to the king? How do you accept the king and make him your king and that you're going to be subject to him? Jesus would say in the next couple of chapters, well, the next chapter, Mark 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
You see, the priests of that day and time, the ones who were to be the fellow companions of Jesus, who would have accepted him and, and, and paraded him around, but no, they didn't do that. They all got together with the Sanhedrin, the experts of the law, all the Pharisees, and they're condemning him. And because of that lack of belief, Jesus says, there's no room. I'm not going to be your king. And so therefore, we find him that he's going to be handed over to Pilate. Now, this next couple of sections here, Pilate is going to be real quick on this because it's verses 2 through 5. But it's a very interesting thing about this man, Pilate. We had the priests. We had all those guys who should have been helping Jesus, working with Jesus. But they became like angry mob when they scourged him and beat him. In fact, when he comes before Pilate, he's bound. He looks like a beaten-up criminal. And he's going to stand before this guy, Pilate. And so right off in verse 2, listen to what he says, Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Because remember, that's what they claimed that Jesus, they said that Jesus was. And they asked Pilate, and he asked Pilate, and so he says, Jesus answered him, you have said so. Jesus replied. So the chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, well, aren't you going to answer do you, you see how many things they have accused you of? They made a list now of this is what Jesus done. It was all false. It wasn't true. They said they weren't, he wasn't paying his taxes. He was trying to overthrow the government insurrectionist. And he's doing all this stuff. And it says, you see the many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, I, I wrote down some of these notes here, and I, I really look at Pilate for a moment. Jesus gets there right before the governor, and he's asked by this governor, Jesus, about his accusations with this king of the Jews. And the answer he gives him is somewhat different than the answer that he gave the Jews. When the Jews ask him, are you the king of, are you the, king of the Jews? Are you a son of God? He just said this, I am. Him. But when Pilate asked him, you say so. And so people have looked at that saying, what is Jesus saying there? Well, there's three answers to that, possibly. One of them is, he says, you got that right. You say so, you got it right. Another one is, is Jesus could be saying, well, that's for you to decide. In other words, when he says, you say so, you decide. Am I a king? But the third one would have been something else. It could have been Jesus saying, I am the king of the Jews, and I'm not, uh, but I'm not a king in a way that you're thinking about being a king. He could have been saying, I'm not a king of this world, but I'm king of kings. In fact, John 18 would give you that understanding because in John 18, verses 33 through 36, is the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate is really going over these things. And Jesus didn't answer him about the other accusations. But he keeps going to that thing. Are you really a king? And he just basically tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. People, you want to accept Jesus Christ? It's not of this world. But the world will tell you, just like the priests were doing, and just like Pilate's going to be, they're going to give you a type of situation. The world will say, just be religious. 
but don't surrender to Jesus the king. And then Pilate would come along, and he would say, hey, and as, the, as individuals, we will sometimes judge Jesus. And, and we say, I don't know if he's really king of my life. He, he can be king on Sundays. <laughs> I'll make him king on certain parts of the day. But is he going to be king of my life forever? And then my life and everything that I do? And so he goes into that. In the meeting between Jesus and Pilate, we need to know a little bit about how powerful Pilate was. Now, this was the one, the governor there, because he went to Herod, and Herod sends him back to Pilate, and he's standing here, so Pilate there is, is in charge of this. He has been uh, made, he, he kind of made himself go through the ranks, got himself into position. He had to climb to get to where he was today. And it's said because of, maybe because of the political, being a political leader, it was through the different ways to play politics. The Bible also, in all uh, ancient history, accounts of Pilate's life paint him as being incompetent and heavy-handed. In other words, he couldn't really know how to deal things. He didn't know how to make decisions. He was incompetent in his leadership style. So when he got frustrated, it just said he became heavy-handed. He'd kill you. <laughs> He'd crush you. He had the power to do that, but he couldn't do anything else with it because he could not reason. Pilate was a governor of Palestine, and then he says, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, it says that Pilate was responsible of much of the turmoil, causing the Jews to get angry and under the, uh, in Palestine. He would do certain things that would just get under their skin. One of the things was they were building a, a water line, and, and so he takes the temple money, Pilate does. He commands his temple money to go to that project. Well, that just blew up the, the, Pharise uh, the Pharisees and the Jews, saying you can't take God's money and put it into that kind of a situation. He'd do things like that just to get them mad. See, Pilate was a man who was motivated by lust for power, driven for a thirst of a political power. He seemed to live for the status of celebrity, being a celebrity. I want people to see me, know me, and I want to have power and a prestige. He placed his career before everything else and before anyone else. And he lived to exalt himself. His whole life was all about Pilate. Do you ever get like going like that to yourself maybe? Do you know people like that? It's all about themselves. Do we have politicians even in the world? I don't care where you vote today and what party you're going for. They're going all through this thing. It's about power and prestige and uh, make promises and things. But they don't always carry them through. This has uh, got to a point where eventually Pilate falls. After Jesus is crucified, Pilate becomes exiled to a northern Europe. Tradition has it that he committed suicide. You see, he got to the point at the end of his life where his power, his position, and his pride, he had nothing to live for. This little self-centered man, Jesus faced in the early morning trial beaten, bruised, bleeding, and he's standing before a little peon, and he's the king now. And he's saying, listen, I'm king if you say so. And then this little guy is going to make the final decision. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, when it says that Jesus, by the way, is standing before Pilate, he's like, hey, do what you want to do. It's just like Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, 
and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to a slaughter as a sheep before its shearers, silent. So he did not open his mouth. Verses 4 and 5, Pilate now attempts to get Jesus to defend himself. Jesus simply stood there in the majestic silence. He refuses to answer, and that left Pilate amazed, it says, Mark, Mark records. But he was convinced that Jesus was innocent of the charges being leveled against him. And again, I go back to some of these other passages of Scripture. In Luke 23, verse 6 through 12, Herod questions Jesus, and the soldiers mock Jesus. And, but Jesus refused to even talk to Herod. And so Herod sends him back to Pilate, and there he stands. John 18 would talk about how that Pilate then would take Jesus to, to a palace to question him privately. And we looked a little bit about that. And Jesus would answer Pilate's questions, saying, My kingdom's not of this world. It's not of this world, guys. Priests couldn't understand it. Pilate couldn't understand it. In Mark 15, 10, it says that Jesus knows that he's, uh, and Jesus was standing there before the Jews, there's pure hatred and envy. But Jesus is innocent. And so now he's trying to take steps to release Jesus. The whole encounter between Jesus and Pilate comes down to what is said over in John 18, 37, 38. Jesus plainly declares this. He says he identifies himself, and he offers to teach Pilate the truth. And in verse 38, and this is important, in verse John chapter 18, verse 38, when Jesus says, I'm, I'm truth, it says that Pilate flippantly said, what is truth? And then he walks out on Jesus. Isn't that something? Pilate ignored when he knew that Jesus was the truth that Jesus was innocent. He just ignored that. I wonder how many people sitting here today knowing, knowing Jesus is true. The Bible is true about what they say of him and what he did and how he lived and how he died and how he resurrected and that he's coming again. They know it's true, but they don't really accept it. And he walks out on Jesus. This place should be packed every Sunday. Every church that's preaching Jesus Christ, it should be full and coming in. But a lot of times, preachers don't get to see that. Sometimes they, these evangelists, like Bobby and my son and others, they don't see people's need. If they do come, it's not really to do anything except, hey, i got to show up once a week. And their hearts bleed because they're going to give you truth. This congregation, this church preaches truth. And they're going to tell God's truth to you. Sometimes truth isn't easy to take. But a lot of people, just like Pilate, will don't say, I don't want to come. I ain't got time for it. And if I do come, it'll be now and then. You see, I'm afraid that's what a lot of people are in the world today, just like him, rejecting Jesus. They're afraid. They just don't want to know how to deal with it. It takes courage to take Jesus as your king. Let me say that again. It takes Jesus, the courage, to take Jesus as your king. It takes courage to come to him. It takes courage to admit that you're a sinner. 
It takes courage to admit that you're helpless to save yourself. It takes courage to admit that you need a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It takes courage to stand against the world and to live for him and to live not like the world. It takes courage to be different in a world that demands that everyone behave the same way like the Bible and the Word of God says to do. It takes great courage to live for God in a world controlled by a devil. So I salute you who are obedient to Christ. You are living for Jesus. To everyone who has the courage to live for Jesus, those who are watching on that of the video, or whether you're here today, or whether you're sitting there struggling with it, and you decide to follow Jesus Christ, I commend you. I salute every obedient believer, to everyone who takes that courage. I salute my brothers and sisters around the world. I salute preachers like Bobby and others who preach their heart out to give you the truth. I cannot tell you the times, but I've heard from my daughter, Sherry, or Bobby, with tears in eyes that a certain family says they just can't take that teaching, a biblical teaching that's shared by God's Word, and will just walk away. They even cry and get upset, hurt when you go on vacation sometimes. <laughs> or when you're just not there at a usual time. They really do care because every Sunday they plan, either through that with the children and with you people, to preach truth. And then while you do that, now listen, here's what's tough about preaching truth. you got to practice it and you got to live it. And you beat your own self up sometimes in your failures. And so when we come to share the gospel and we come to those, we're preaching to a courageous people. Courageous because you're making a difference. And if it won't for you, then it would be like Solomon Gomorrah who would not be able to stand and be totally destroyed. But no, God told Abraham back then, if you could just find 10 righteous people, not religious ones, righteous ones. And he couldn't get them. Well, I imagine that broke his heart. But there he is, and he comes to them, and they will not accept Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. There's no room for cowards when it comes to Jesus. You see, there's no room. But I'm going to give you the one last one, the people. Verses 6 through 15. I'm just going to fill this in to you. Pilate has examined Jesus. He's convinced he's innocent. And so Pilate takes a gamble. He says, uh, I'm going to free Jesus with a political, with no political backlash. I'm going to do something different. According to verse 6, it's Pilate's custom to release a prisoner to the crowd of their choosing. And he has in custody a prisoner by the name of Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, I want you to know and understand this. He's a political prisoner. He's been arrested for insurrection. He's a murderer. Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was trying to overthrow the Roman Empire government, something they were claiming Jesus to do, but Jesus wasn't doing that. He wanted to overcome an individual's heart. And he has been taught. And now Barabbas, Barabbas it is, was headed for death. 
on a Roman cross, people. Listen to this. Like, this is very important because I never realized this until going over this lesson. And so he offers, Pilate offers the crowd, the crowd, and that's early in the morning. He offers the crowd a choice between Jesus or Barabbas, thinking surely these people, because they saw what happened just weeks or a week or so earlier, how people love Jesus and they're throwing down the palm leaves and they're praising him and they're crying with tears and they're joyful to see him. And they want about overthrowing nothing. They just love the message of Jesus and the truth that he brought to them. And so he's trying to say, I'm going to get rid of this violent guy, put him up. And so Pilate gets this guy, gets Jesus, the innocent one. But the crowd, it says in verse 14, had been worked into a frenzy. They are really upset. They're even yelling and screaming. And in fact, Matthew says in verse 27, verse 25, that the crowd that was there early in the morning, they said this, they even called down a curse upon themselves and their children if they were to let this Jesus go. So Pilate gives in to the will of the people. Now why here, why would they do that, people? Why do people change like that? How could they do this? How could they choose him? I have preached, and I've heard others preach, and most preachers say, oh, these are the crowd, the crowd that was out there. They were the ones who were saying, Hosanna, just a week earlier. But were they? Was that the crowd, or was it someone different? You see, this crowd was because they knew that that morning, Barabbas was going to be crucified. It wasn't the ones who loved Jesus. It wasn't the ones who were maybe saying, Hosanna, away, Jesus, the king. It wasn't maybe that group. It was another crowd there. They came to watch the death of their hero. This guy was a folklore. He was the guy who became famous. And so the crowd was, didn't care about a Jesus. They probably never even really paid no attention. That crowd was there because of Barabbas. They believed that this man was going to overcome Rome, the one they were going to crucify. Barabbas was. He was, the, he was more of a Messiah to them than Jesus. And so that's why they're yelling out, let Barabbas go. Boy, what a chance. This would never happen in a million years. And the crowds rejected Jesus because there's no room for unbelievers. No room. And that crowd, that pilot who had no courage, those priests, all they had was just religion but no righteousness. And now that crowd who were there because of their pride and what they could own and get in the world. Historians said that Barabbas, his full name, Jesus Barabbas, which means Jesus, the son of the fathers. And on this day, the crowd chose between Jesus, the son of the fathers, or Jesus, the son of God. You see our world today? They're not looking at Jesus. They're looking at politicians. They're looking at those with money. They're looking about their properties and their possessions. Many in the world are just like the crowd that can condemn Jesus. The majority is not always right, though. The majority rejected Jesus. The majority condemned him to death. The majority stood against him. And the majority was wrong. The majority is still against Jesus today. There's no room for Jesus today. 
When you leave this place, when you go to your homes and your different, the television, the music, the things we hear on social media, most of the stuff that we will have bombarded on us. So don't tell me that you don't have time to come around the Lord's table on the first day of the week to be in remembrance of what Jesus gave you. And don't tell me that you don't need to hear truth. And no one should ever walk away and say, I didn't get anything out of that message or that service today. What did you put into that message and service today when you gave yourself to Jesus Christ? Because if you're in Jesus, every moment, every day, every time there's an opportunity, you know the king, the king of kings is coming. Oh, there's no room for him in this world. But Jesus says, I'm not a king of this world. My world is, my, this uh, kingdom of mine is not of this world. And people today, he wants you to come and be a part of his kingdom. He wants you to believe that he is the son of the living God. He wants you to confess that name. And to do that, you can't be a coward. To do that, you just can't say, well, I have righteous works. To do that, you can't just say, well, I'm part of the crowd and everybody else is doing it. Singly, individuals to come one by one to Jesus and then you go share that gospel will you do it your choice today here comes the king what are you going to do thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast want to learn more about us you can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement MC.